arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Gentlemen, we're about to enter the fascinating sphere of police work, the world of forensic medicine. Quincy M.E. starring Jack Klugman was broadcast from October 3rd, 1976 to May 11th, 1983. Quincy was the Los Angeles County Medical Examiner who also investigated murders. Autopsies are important and sometimes critical. Matthias Jones series has a more subdued medical examiner named Clayton Morris, who of course likes Jones and slips him information. In the strange death of Dr. Povich, Clayton's information becomes critical to Jones finding the killer of Dr. Povich. We will begin tonight's episode at Club Max with Coco and Jones discussing Father Gallagher's guilt and the beginning of the Coco-Bucky relationship, or should I say confrontation. But other people are still suspect in this crime. McIntyre on the loose with money, Duff Davis and his drug problems bother Jones, not because of his star player's addiction as much as the possibility that he might be the murderer. Episode 3 of The Strange Death of Dr. Povich by Robert P. Fitton begins right now. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 12 Jones thought about Jim Gallagher and Dr. Povich's murder during the drive to Prince William and any doubts had given way to panic by the time he maneuvered his jeep into Club Max's crowded parking lot. He pushed his hand against the brass side plate, opened the glossy green door, and merged into the smoky bar's blue neon light. The dance floor and stage were darkened on weeknights, but a huge brute, with a crew cut and a beer in his hand, stepped from the bar and looked down at Jones. The guy's chest threatened to burst through his checkered shirt. Let's go. Where are we going? Back. Okay, said Jones meekly. Beer? Sure. The man banged the bar, shaking the patrons. Instantly, the woman behind the bar placed a glass under the tap and filled it to the top. She slid the glass down the bar and the man caught it without spilling a drop. One beer. Thanks. Jones followed him along the bar. The man opened folding doors to the back room. Coco's black and gray hair twisted down his neck. He smoked a cigarette and talked to a couple of women in miniskirts near the sliders. When he saw Jones, he exhaled and whispered something to the woman and kissed them. Both women were taller than Jones and gave him mysterious grins as they passed. Then the big guy closed the folding doors. You nervous, Jonesy? You're well connected. The only way to be. Did Bruno tell you what we found out? Bruno? Bruno, he brought you in here. Jones wondered if Bruno's conversation extended beyond one-word utterances. I can see that he didn't. Sit down, Jonesy. Jones set the beer on the table and pulled out the chair. What's going on? Listen, I would just halt your investigation of Povich right now. Back off. Pack up the bags and go home. Let the cops handle it. Since when are you a friend of the cops? I'm a friend of the cops when I need to be. He lifted the scotch to his lips. I'm not so sure that's smart, Jones nodded. Then he leaned toward Coco. 
Why does everybody want me to back off? Coco squinted and took out his cigarette pack. He flipped the pack and removed another cigarette and lit it with a gold, initialized lighter. Gallagher is in real trouble. I was just thinking that on the way over. Do you know something? Yeah. Talk is he mentioned killing Povich. He spewed out smoke quickly. Right after he lost the money to renovate the church. He had a few drinks and he started popping off. But that ain't what's bothering me, Jonesy. It's not like Gallagher to run away from anything. Well, I'm sure he's made arrangements. Coco held a cigarette between his fingers. Oh, we know where he is. We even know he's got airline tickets and a phony name to Germany. I gotta give him credit. He's fooled the cops. Where is he? I'll get to that. Jones sipped the beer. I keep telling myself he didn't do it, but I keep coming back to the fact that he cooked dinner at his rectory two hours before Povich keeled over and croaked. But Coco, he cooked the friggin' meal, Jonesy. Povich's secretary called Gallagher about the lettuce. Wait. Jones pushed the beer forward and clenched his fist as he spoke. I've called the astronomy department. Usually a physics professor answers the phone. There is no secretary. What are you saying? Some broad called up saying she was his secretary? Maybe. Have you talked to Jim? No. That's why I called you over. I want us both to talk to him. If he did it, we gotta make sure the dude disappears. Are you sure Povich didn't have a secretary? No, I don't think he did. And that artsy live-in broad of his, she could have done it. Jones shook his head. She wouldn't chance it. She's too smart. I should have caught this before. Someone got him out of the house, and then they could have come in and spiked the food or what they were drinking. Bruno slid open the folding doors and dipped his closely trimmed large head inside. Coco, we got a problem out front. Ain't a big problem. Hey, Bruno, if it ain't a big problem, then don't bother me, man. Some dude saying he's a security cop at Hamilton College. Jones closed his eyes and slowly shook his head. He lifted the glass to his lips and let the beer trickle down his throat. Thought I got rid of him. Somebody tailing you, Jonesy? Both men moved to the folding doors. Bucky Driscoll stood at the far end of the bar near the blue neon lighted entrance. He wore an open, cheap black vinyl coat, gray polyester pants, and a party shirt mixed with conflicting red, blue, and green swirls. In his hand was a tall imported beer, and he shifted from foot to foot. He must have overheard my dinner conversation at the Colonial House. You want me to take care of him? Jones shook his head and started back to the bar. I'll handle this. Bucky caught sight of Jones a few seconds later. He looked up to the ceiling and turned quickly and faced the neon tubing. As Jones approached, Bucky quickly swigged the beer and tapped his fingers on the urethane bar. Bucky, what are you doing here? Bucky smiled as he spun around and pretended he had not seen Jones. Fletchers know you hang out here, coach? Jones studied his oversized nose and silver glasses. Bucky extended his lower jaw out and his eyelids were heavy. He wrapped Jones's shoulder. Mom's the word. <laughs> I don't appreciate being eavesdropped on. Sometimes a man's gotta do what a man's gotta do and stay alive to live another day. Jones half closed his eyes and shook his head again. He glanced back at Coco and Bruno at the folding doors. Being on the fringe of law enforcement yourself, you should know that. Know what? asked Jones. Bucky leaned over and spoke in a lower voice. We all have access to the latest surveillance equipment.
Bucky, if you don't make yourself scarce, I will personally come over to your house and dismantle you and the equipment piece by piece. Oh, Muriel wouldn't like that. Then again, she had to foot the bill for all that crap. Jones nudged him forward. Goodbye, Bucky. Au revoir. Wait! I have important information that'll break the Povich case wide open. Jones tightened his lips and stared at him. I should shoot myself for asking this, but what do you have? Bucky formed a wide lip smile and played with his glasses. He lifted his hand over his mouth and whispered with a strong burst of garlic on his breath. I received a call for a break-in at the Mount Polaris Observatory a few hours ago. Is that the information? Whoever was up there disappeared. Jones moved away from the now pervasive garlic. I'd say they got the jump on me. Well, maybe nobody was up there, Bucky. Maybe it was a false alarm. Oh yeah, Mr. Private Investigator? I'm not a private investigator, said Jones, looking at Coco. Coco was giving him the out sign with his thumb. I think you'd better leave, Bucky. The observatory was still warm. Lights were still on when I used the head. Oh boy, I really had to go. What do you think of that? I think maybe you should see a urologist. I ain't seeing no shrink. You think I'm crazy, don't you? Coco and Bruno marched in unison along the bar. Bruno stepped back as Coco grabbed both sides of Bucky's jacket. Listen, punk. Hey, watch the merchandise. You little creep. I'll have you and your jacket shredded into a thousand pieces and dumped in the bay. Okay, okay. You don't have to get rough. Jeez. Coco winced and waved his hand through the air as he looked at Bruno. Bruno, get sewer breath out of here, will you? Can't a guy even order a beer? Asked Bucky, opening his eyes and pouting. The oversized Bruno stepped forward. Maybe if you're old enough to drink. In a single motion, he hoisted Bucky up by the elbows. A smile came to Jones's face as Bruno waddled toward the door, with Bucky's head nearly scraping the ceiling. Hey, Good night, get Bucky. Your hands off me. Get Coco your hands turned off to me. Jones. Bucky cackled charges. as he was carried into the lobby. What a piece of work. You let this guy work on the Povich thing with you? What are you, nuts, Jonesy? That clown is a loose wheel. He pushed his way into this. He happened to be at the observatory when Povich died. Jones pictured Fred's headlights smashed by Bucky's sledgehammer. It's a long story. That rodent gives me any more grief, I'll pop him. Jones gave Coco a quick summation of Bucky's involvement, beginning with the locked chain gate. Coco seemed to get angrier. Bruno's massive shoulders filled the doorway and he walked forward as if he had just won a wrestling match. Did you get rid of him, Bruno? He kept saying he's alive to live another day. Yeah, that's what he said. We can fix that, said Coco. Jones moved between the two men. Listen, back to the Povich thing. Somebody, a woman, called Gallagher and got him out of the house. Coco raised his knuckles to his nose as he thought. Find out if that was legit. I tell you, there's no secretary. Jones put his hand briefly on Coco's shoulder. He looked him in the eye and spoke softly. Coco, maybe you should just tell the police if you know where Jim is. You don't want to become an accessory. The cops will nail you. Coco laughed. <laughs> cops ain't gonna nail this boy for nothing. He put his arm fully around Jones. I'll talk to Father Jim, and then I'm gonna find that basketball druggie of yours. Well, Duff has a problem. Yeah, well, he may have more problems than he thinks. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 13 Jones watched his dash radiator gauge gradually edge upward as he passed over the Devonshire Hills back into Hamilton. 
He let the jeep coast down the bare pavement to the other side, but he could smell radiator fluid as he slowed to the unsalted area near the college. The gauge now approached hot. He pulled onto Main Street and around the common toward his house. When he shut off the engine, steam swirled into the night air. Jones jumped from the jeep and waved his hand through the radiator fog. The jeep was less than a year old. He checked his watch. He crossed the sidewalk and opened his picket fence gate. Then he put his hands on his hips and faced the hissing radiator. Radiator problems in a new car made no sense. He walked briskly up the walk and unlocked the front door. As he always did, he checked the thermostat and gazed across the kitchen for his messages. The red light was flashing. He brushed his boots and crossed the kitchen. When he pushed the button, Bucky's voice blasted out. I think you blew it. I'll have to break open this case myself. Sorry about your Jeep. I had a blind spot. The dial tone vibrated in the machine speaker. My car? Jones looked toward the front door. Then he spun on the wood floor and ran for the door. He slipped on the snow outside and fought to keep his balance. The front of his Jeep was dented and the grill was cracked. Pieces were missing. He shook his head for at least a minute, not wanting to believe the Jeep was damaged. The sun pushed through the gray clouds as traffic passed down Main Street. Jones squinted as he stood in the cold outside Pudgy Wilson's gas station and again dialed Bucky's phone number at the college. He gripped his cell phone and paced in the cold air. The line kept ringing. Jones ended the transmission and checked his Jeep inside the glass bay doors. Chucky Reese moved by Jones's hood and shrugged his shoulders. Jones dialed Bucky's number at home and folded one arm under his parka to keep warm. A woman answered the phone on the sixth ring. Hello? Yes, this is uh, Matthias Jones. I need to speak with Bucky. Coach Jones, this is Bucky's sister, Muriel. Jones rolled his eyes. Sorry to hear about Tammy Welch. It shouldn't have happened, said Jones, jumping up and down to keep warm. I've been at all the games. I was there when she broke her ankle. Thanks for supporting the team. Is Bucky there? Oh, Bucky is uh, sleeping. What? I guess he had a late night working on the Povich case. He's not working on the Povich case. I repeat, he's not working on the Povich case. Oh. When he decides to join the rest of us in the conscious world, have him give me a call. That is very witty. Right. Tell him my car is being worked on as we speak. Jones turned as Elsie McIntyre pulled up to the diesel pump in her spotless blue Mercedes. Bucky knows what happened to my Jeep. Please have him give me a call at my office at the college. Oh, of course, and I'll see you at the next home game. Sure. Jones pushed the end button and moved over to the pump where Pudgy placed the nozzle in the Mercedes tank. Matthias, I think we are pretty sure we can plug that radiator. Elsie, behind the tinted window, wrote something in a small notebook. But your insurance company needs more information. Jones raised his voice just as Elsie electronically lowered the window. Classical music leaked outside. Well, that idiot Bucky Driscoll ran my car is what happened. That's all the information they need. Idiot. Oh, he is an idiot, said Elsie. She gave Jones a quick smile, vanishing like his breath in the cold air. I will change my telephone listing if I hear that man's voice on my machine one more time. He's been calling you, oh, on numerous occasions. Jones stepped over the pump hose. Elsie held a pink tissue in her hand. 
He carefully studied her tired blue eyes. I'll be leaving for Maine tomorrow for Tammy Welch's funeral. My car is being fixed now, but I would like to speak with you again. Elsie wiped her eyes with the tissue. I just can't believe Tammy is dead. Then you knew Tammy. Oh, yes. She was one of my students. An innocent child is what she was, and now she's dead, too. Elsie placed the tissue in a small plastic litter bag. I can't bring myself to go to Maine. It's all too much. Jones could see she was genuinely upset. The pump shut off automatically, and he debated whether to ask her any more questions. How well did you know her, Professor? Elsie looked up with a bewildered expression on her face. Jones was not sure whether it was real. Pudgy pumped in another 50 cents worth of gas. I'm just too upset. I'm sorry. Were you close to Tammy Welch? I have to go. The girl is dead, said Jones. Her eyes were red and her hands shook as she handed Pudgy her credit card. Povich's name was on the card. I thought you were looking into Sergi's murder, Mr. Jones. Well, I'm trying to. I apologize. It's just that I'm unclear about a lot of things. I am meeting with my friends at 3 to plan Sergi's memorial service. Why don't you come over around 4.30 and I'll do my best to answer your questions. Pudgy stepped from the island and handed the credit card slip to her. Thank you, Ms. McIntyre. Anytime, and Mr. Jones, I will meet you at 4.30. Thank you. The window went up and her diesel engine hummed. As she pulled away, Jones looked at the unsigned slip. You forgot to have her sign the slip there, Pudge. Are you kidding? Povich was loaded. She gives me enough work on that Mercedes to feed the grandkids. Heck, we even washed the car. Washed it last night. Well, it looks spiffy, said Jones. When do you think the Jeep will be ready? An hour, maybe. She gave Arnold Johnson a $20 tip to get the salt off her car last Friday. I don't know why the hell the state uses salt on the highway. You'd never cross the Devonshire Hills unless that road was bare said Jones. Tuesday was the night Povich died. Muddy Jacobs's loud pickup stuffed with trash rumbled off Main Street and into Pudgy's lot. A piece of plywood spun off the truck and across the asphalt, nearly hitting Jones and the pumps. Howdy, boys, he said with the cigar jammed in his mouth. Jones looked down at the plywood. He helped Pudgy stuff it back between the gray trash bags in the truck bed. Muddy, you really should put a tarp over that stuff in your truck bed. Yeah, right. You guys hear the news? Tammy, the cheerleader. She OD'd before she drove the car into the quarry. What do you mean she OD'd? asked Jones, leaning in the driver's window. Muddy opened his eyes wide and moved the cigar around between his teeth. Yeah, they gave her something for the pain when she broke her leg. She took a whole bottle with wine and cake. Jones stood motionless in the cold air and stared back toward the snow-covered common. Where did you hear all this, Muddy? Arnie Dewars was plowing away some of the snow near the police station. He was inside having a cup of coffee when the coroner called George Strickland. Suicide. Jones straight oh, yeah. from the truck. <laughs> Muddy mumbled something else as Jones entered the gas station. Tammy committing suicide made no sense. He fell into the seat near the counter and watched Pudgy pump the gas into Muddy's faded red truck. Then he spoke out loud. Okay, Jones, let's say she was murdered. Somebody put the pills in her food and drink. Unless she knew something about Povich's murder. You say something, Matthias? 
said Chucky in his yellow mechanic shirt, leaning in from the garage. No, I'm just talking to myself, Chuck. Chucky rolled his eyes. Don't lose many arguments that way. You'd be surprised, said Jones as he walked to the payphone. I got this radiator sealed, Matthias. Somebody must have hit you just right. I should report him. Jones nodded and dialed Clayton's number at home. The Prince William interchange had a quick, louder ring. Hello? Clayton. Matthias, I thought I'd be hearing from you. She had high levels of alcohol, white wine, and a large amount of painkiller was crushed into the coffee cake. Some espresso from a few hours back. The combination of alcohol and pills killed her. Jones held the phone as Muddy pulled onto Main Street and signaled for sure drive to the dump. Then she was murdered. But she was still alive when that car hit the water because she breathed in the water, Matthias. Don't go running around telling everybody this girl was murdered. Oh, there's no doubt. Yes, there is a doubt. Strickland checked the whole area for footprints before anyone arrived. With all that snow, footprints or tire treads would have been obvious. Well, a murderer might have moved along the rocks. Well, that's possible, of course, but that's a precarious trek along the cliffs. Yeah, but it is at the end of the highway. You can park a car or go on foot. Well, you'd have to be in shape to go on foot. Jones thought about Duff, but he had no knowledge that Duff and Tammy knew each other. The only link between Tammy and Povich's murder was her being one of Professor McIntyre's students. The body has been released. Well, I think she was murdered. Well, Matthias, like I always tell you, if you find out something I missed, please let me know. I will, Clayton. Goodbye. Jones set down the phone and moved around the counter. He stood in the garage doorway and watched Chucky under the hood. Will it make it to Maine, Chucky? Where in Maine? Maine's a pretty big place. Outside of Portland, a couple hours. Unless there's another leak. Oh, great. Jones moved into the garage. The radiator fluid was in a tub under the Jeep. Well, should I go or not? Oh, you should be okay. Good. Unless there's another leak. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 14 Jones, his eyes constantly on the temperature gauge, drove his jeep down Pine Street. Tammy Welch's relationship with Povich and Professor McIntyre required an explanation. Before he left the house, he left a message on Fred Dempsey's machine to call him when he returned from New York. Fred worked with Povich and might have seen Tammy at the house. Still, as he pulled up to Povich's yellow Victorian house, he questioned whether Tammy had known anything about Povich's murder. The engine gauge was midway when he shut off the Jeep. He gazed at the brightly lit home and the blue Mercedes in the open garage. Then his phone rang. Jones. Thias, this is George. I've just spent the last half hour questioning Meg Eaton. She mentioned you spoke with her last night. She did. Inside the front windows were gold-framed pictures around the front room walls. He did not see Professor McIntyre. What did she tell you about Povich's finances? Nothing other than Professor McIntyre controlled the purse strings in that relationship. The front door opened and the professor, dressed in a red sweater and plaid green skirt, waved to Jones. What did she say, George? Looks like McIntyre shacked up with him for his money. Oh, no kidding. I would call the Yelton Foundation Kenneth Colby. See if she got her hands on that grant to the observatory. I'll look 
art may have been stolen, according to Meg Eaton, said Strickland. Well, 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 motive springs eternal. Jones looked through the windshield toward the house. And Meg is willing to testify Povich found out about everything. He gazed into the lengthy front hall beyond the glass door. What do you make of it? I don't know what to make of it. Like you, I'm just trying to find out proof that Gallagher didn't do it. I'll call you when I get back home. Okay, George, thank you. I'll talk to you. Jones opened the Jeep door and started up the front walk. With every step, Meg Eaton's reaction to Tammy's death pounded into his thoughts. Why did she say everything just gets worse? Before he left Remain, Jones wanted to know how close Tammy was to McIntyre. The image of Povich collapsing at the telescope would not go away. He felt the eerie presence of the deceased doctor as he stepped onto the porch. He slowly pulled back the glass door. Hello. I'll be right there, Mr. Jones. I'm on the telephone. Take your time, Professor. Jones stopped on a blue-tiled foyer. The hallway ahead was a perfectly painted matte blue with a lighter blue chair rail. Every corner of the room had white alarm boxes with flashing red lights. His steps echoed on the crisp, solid oak floor to his right, and he studied a gold-framed painting of Florence, maybe Venice. The paint was faded and cracked on the canvas. Admiring the Renaissance? Gavoni was a temporary of Bellini. I have many copies of this painting, but this is the original. Well, I must say, said Jones, turning in full circle, this house could be a museum. Thank you. Exactly. Sergi's words. Now, please come in. She motioned him forward. He passed older paintings and eyed the spacious back room. Paintings from across the centuries were properly spaced under single-track lights along higher-sheen vermilion walls. White Greek statues and fluted pillars were placed next to the green leafy plants, and the wood floor was buffed and spotless. How could I not be impressed? The accumulation of years of planning and purchases. Grayer hairs were visible within her blonde wisps under the track lights, but her skin was smooth. Have you any interest in art, Mr. Jones? Oh, my interest in art is like anyone else. We admire what we see, but we have no idea why or who painted it and why. Honestly and aptly put, can I get you some wine and cheese? Actually, I think I want to talk about murder. Her fixed smile bothered him. Yes, of course. Down to business. What would you like to know? Jones walked along American paintings he recognized from the 1930s. That looks like Edward Hopper. I do know that. Purchasing such a painting would require a great deal of money. She tilted her head back and laughed. <laughs> you are so amusing, Mr. Jones. Well, I'm glad you find me amusing. I'm amused how you use Dr. Povich's money to create this, this new Louvre. Sergi's full consent was given. Jones turned from the Hopper painting. How well did you know Tammy Welch? She recoiled and flinched. I think I find your insinuations quite annoying. She was a student. How well did you know her? The professor took two long strides toward Jones and stopped under the next recess light. I knew her well enough to be grieving right now. When did you last see her? She grinded her teeth behind her pursed lips. When she broke her leg that night. And you haven't seen her since then? No. She pointed her finger at Jones and took a giant step. What about your star player who kept asking her out? Why don't you ask Duff where he was yesterday afternoon? 
I'm not aware that Duff asked Tammy out. Or Fred Dempsey. Ask him how he went through Sergi's notebook and computer disk while Sergi lay in a Boston hospital. Sergi was livid. She did not flinch when Joan stepped forward. And he was livid at you, wasn't he, Professor? Because he really had no idea how you were draining his funds. Maybe he realized that the affair prior to his wife's death was a purely opportunistic venture on your part. I believe your stay here will be far shorter than you thought, Mr. Jones. The cops will trace that down and the money from the Alton Foundation. Get out! You don't think what I'm telling you won't come out in a grand jury hearing? What I think is you're using every dirty trick in the book to prevent your father Gallagher from going to prison for the rest of his life. Jones moved back into the hall, but turned at the opening. Justice always prevails, Professor. You're wrong, Mr. Jones. Justice does not always prevail, especially where guilt cannot be proved. Jones's jeep bounced over Strickland's direct driveway, overlooking the darkening Hamilton Bay. The steel-blue afternoon skies accentuated the twinkling lights along the snow-covered beach. Spring was still a month and a half away. The house's window light brightened the porch and driveway in a shiny black limo was parked beneath Strickland's pickup truck in his cruiser. Jones downshifted the Jeep and checked the temperature gauge before shutting off the engine. Chucky must have fixed the leak and now he could travel to Maine tomorrow. Once outside the Jeep, Jones furrowed his brow and walked by the limo's tinted windows. He continued up the porch stairs, knocked once and rang the captain's bell under the porch light. Mary looked through the sheer kitchen curtains and smiled. She opened the inside door and Jones pulled back the screen door. He rubbed his hands together. When's it supposed to warm up there, Mary? I don't know. Did the groundhog see his shadow? If he did, he didn't tell me. Jones moved into the kitchen. Bacon sizzled in the frying pan and the waffle iron hissed on the counter. Sounds like my radiator. Oh, Pudgy Wilson told me they had to fix it, something about an accident. Jones wanted to ask her about the outside limo. Oh, it was an accident, all right, and its name was Bucky Driscoll. Mary moved her eyes upward and ran to the waffle iron. That man constantly bothers George. She lifted the lid and slid the crisp brown waffle onto the plate. Can I interest you in some waffles? My sister brought this fresh maple syrup down from Vermont. Well, I don't want to intrude on your guests. I don't think Herbert Lane is staying for waffles. Oh, of course. Jones put his hand on his stomach. All of a sudden, I'm losing my appetite. What's Herbert Lane doing here? I assume it's the Povich thing. They've been behind closed doors in George's study for 40 minutes. I was afraid of this. He's going to indict Gallagher. Mary finished pouring more goopy batter onto the hot iron and closed the lid. She spoke in a low voice. Matthias, where is Father Jim? I don't know, Mary. Jones bit his lower lip, but he didn't kill Povich. Well, nobody thinks he did. The parishion has met with the bishop and Herbert this afternoon. Did Herbert say he was going to indict? Well, the bishop was for it, said Mary, checking the waffle iron. Oh, wonderful. Talk about fair-weather friends. Well, nobody in the parish believes that he did it. Jones pushed his teeth together and took a step toward the hall. I'm talking to Lane right now. We've never seen eye to eye, but this has gone far enough. Well, I don't know if that's a good idea. I'm sorry, Mary. I won't let him do this. Jones started down the hall. 
he's pulled some pretty self-promoting things in the past. Strickland opened the two white bevel doors. Matthias, I thought I heard you out here. Herbert Lane, gray toupee in place, sat in his three-piece suit at the edge of Strickland's desk. His brown leather briefcase was popped open and papers scattered across the flat desktop. Herbert, don't say anything. Well, what made you think I was going to? Jones pointed his finger at the district attorney. I've reached my limit with you all these years, just bringing down indictments where they fit your political plans. Well, you're not going to do this to Jim Gallagher. I don't want to. And furthermore, Father Gallagher's outstanding community record... He creased his brow and glanced at Strickland. The police chief shook his head. Jones swung back to Lane. What do you mean you don't want to? Well, I don't want to. I can't see that he did it. You can't. Jones, you and I have been on opposite sides of murder investigations for quite some time, and I'm sure we'll oppose each other in the future. He stood, his stomach filling his vest. Somebody framed Gallagher, and I'll be damned if I know who it is. From what you've uncovered, I think someone lured him into the rectory around four o'clock. Strickland approached both men. Kevin Phillips has officers questioning the neighbors, and that will continue tomorrow. Someone got in that rectory and put that drug in the food. We checked with the alarm company. The alarm was never set when Gallagher left. Somebody got lucky. Someone who knew Povich had a heart condition. Lane nodded. Exactly. I questioned Coco Stefani this afternoon. I think he knows where Gallagher is. If we could just talk to Gallagher... What Herbert is saying, Matthias, is if you know where Father is hiding, it might go easier on him. Pressure is building in the papers, and now the TV's getting involved. You know, the murdering police. Believe me, I know the press. If they can latch onto something, they will. Do you know where he is, Jones? Jones shook his head. I wish I knew. Coco didn't know? Oh, even if he did know, he's not going to do me any favors. Listen, I want to find the truth in this case, Matthias. Matthias, asked Jones. When haven't you called me Jones? Lane grinned and sat at the desk again. What do you think happened? George, get your recorder. This is a historic moment. Herbert Lane is asking me for advice. Lane laughed from the belly like he did when Jones had seen him lunching with Prince William's mayor, Picotta. Oh, oh, this odd business with Elsie McIntyre has me wondering. She should charge admission to that house. I just saw some of the original paintings. A Gavoni and an original Edward Hopper. I'm sure the rest of the place is filled with art treasures. I just don't know where they are. Lane picked up his yellow pad and wrote for several seconds. George, let's get an art expert up there. I'll make the arrangements for a warrant. Do an inventory at the earliest opportunity and then get something on the internet. Find out what's been stolen in the last, say, five years. Then we'll get into Povich's finances, especially that funding from the Elton Foundation. That could take time. She probably drained the guy dry. Especially if he was stuck in the hospital, said Strickland. She might assume that he was going to die. Lane wrote something else on the paper. Yeah, she had carte blanche, my friends. My friends, asked Jones, mouthing the words to Strickland. The kitchen phone rang, and Mary answered it quickly. She moved into the study, leaning her head in the door. George, George, it's Kevin Phillips. He says it's important. Excuse me. 
Mary smiled at George as he passed and then turned to Lane. Can I interest you in any waffles, Mr. Lane? You know that would hit the spot, Mrs. Strickland, with a lot of syrup, the good stuff, maybe vanilla ice cream. Jones looked at his rotund belly. Maybe wash it down with some Irish coffee. What do you think this is, Herbert, a restaurant? asked Jones. I'll see what I can do, said Mary as she headed back into the kitchen. I always say never turn down a free meal or a free favor. Yeah, I bet, said Jones. Strickland appeared solemn in the doorway. What's the matter, George? Herbert taking your share of waffles? Strickland cleared his throat. Kevin Phillips just found a watch snapped at the pin on the back of Tammy Walsh's car. Jones stepped toward him. Whose watch? To Father Jim Gallagher from St. Bart's, CYO. No way, said Jones, his arms gyrating. No way! Could someone have planted that in the car? Asked Lane, now standing. Of course. That's the oldest trick in the book, said Jones. Well, that trick could frame Gallagher. Jones, talk to Stefani yourself. I'm going to be under incredible pressure now to indict. This looks very bad. Jones nodded his head. I have to find Jim. At least he has to explain this. This is so bizarre. That kid, Davis, said Lane. Jones turned. What about him? Povich had the power to ruin his college career, his scholarship, everything, the works, said Lane. True. What are you saying? Duff put that drug in the food? Strickland spoke from his recliner. He would have known about Povich's heart condition, yet he claims to have been in the dorm room. No witnesses, of course. Lane stroked his chin. I wonder if he knew Tammy Welch. Herbert, said Jones, moving around as if they were in a courtroom. McIntyre knew Welch. She said Duff asked Tammy out several times. Come on, said Strickland. Well, the kid didn't tell us that. I wonder if Welch called Gallagher. From what you've uncovered, Matthias, there's no astronomy secretary. Jones gave him a double take as Strickland moved forward in the recliner. Somebody killed Tammy for a reason. Now I'm bringing in that kid. Lane threw the yellow pad in the briefcase and closed it. Over to PWPD. George, you and I and Kevin will put the pressure on him. I can't let this case linger. Well, what if he's not guilty? asked Jones. Well, then he's not guilty. He's a good athlete who got hooked. Lane's head sat within his double chin. Same old story, Jones. Come on, let's get some chow. Oh, I'll just call the waitress, said Jones. I'm heading out. Strickland stood. Where are you going? To find Coco. I'll call you before I leave for Maine in the morning. Lane half smiled and raised his brows. And Herbert, wait until you hear from me before you draw up anything against Father Gallagher. Oh, okay, boss. Jones rolled his eyes and moved into the hall. He was halfway up to the kitchen when he turned and peered back into the study. Lane looked up. And Herbert, I'd appreciate if you don't send people after me. Jones, you're a cynic. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 15 Jones sat in a smooth leather chair and stared at the rows of books on the shelves behind an oak desk. A tall man with silky white hair cleared his throat and stepped through the side panel door. I take it you are Mr. Jones. Yes. Thank you for seeing me on such short notice, Mr. Colby. My pleasure. What can I do for you? He sat next to the desk and shut off a green glass lamp. While I was in Prince William, I wanted to speak to you about Dr. Sergi Povich. 
Yes, tragic, tragic. He jotted something onto a piece of paper. I'm afraid we created a tremendous amount of controversy when we awarded the money to Dr. Povich. Why did you give him the money? Oh, internally, we are under great pressure to support more secular activities in the area. And knowing of Dr. Povich's reputation, we frankly knew the word would get out. Jones nodded. A public relations ploy. Well, I wouldn't exactly categorize it that way. Have your auditors checked how that money was spent? Colby looked up and gripped his pen. The grant was given. All that's required is a statement of how the money was spent. And you have that? asked Jones. Why, of course. Professor McIntyre provided us with a breakdown of expenses. She was quite instrumental in our decision. It is public knowledge in our annual reports. May I have a copy? It's pretty mundane. Oh, I like the mundane, Mr. Colby. Colby grinned and buzzed his secretary. The older rotund woman in a purple polyester pantsuit quickly entered the room. He ordered her to produce a statement for Jones. A few minutes later, Jones learned that Lone Star Engineering from Texas completed the job last fall. $652,000 was paid to Povich in three lump sums. Colby showed him color photographs of the completed project. Povich stood with Fred Dempsey and shook hands with Colby and the people from the Alton Foundation Jones did not recognize. McIntyre was not in the photograph, but Jones questioned whether she really absconded with some of the Alton Grant. As he drove down to Coco Stefani's East Crescent Street tenement, Jones again dialed Lone Star Engineering. When the line finally rang, he connected to the company's voicemail. He left his cell number as he pulled along Coco's pale green vinyl-sided apartment building. Without elaborating, he hinted that he was studying the renovation costs at the observatory. He shut off the phone, stepped outside, and locked the Jeep doors. Even in the winter, the tenement windows were open and music echoed down the street. He was met by two oversized muscle men at the door. They escorted him to a side office, filled with old newspapers and racing forms. They seemed to know he was supposed to meet Coco. Coco, clad in a brown silk shirt, blue suit, and buff pointed black shoes, moved quickly down the front stairs. His dark eyes locked onto Jones. Jones grinned. I always wonder what's up those stairs. What the hell is this about Gallagher's watch, Jonesy? I want to talk to Father Gallagher tonight. Coco laughed. Oh, yeah? Listen, don't you think the cops haven't tailed you? Lane gave me his assurance. Come on, Jonesy, don't be naive. Coco pulled back the curtain. Somebody set up Gallagher real good. There they are, right out there. Cruiser 451, Gonzalez and Tyson. All right, come with me. Where are we going? You want to see what's upstairs, don't you? And get busted by the vice squad? asked Jones. Coco motioned him up the dimly lit musty stairs. The plugs. Coco opened a side door and Jones followed him into an empty room. A blue neon sign flashed through the glass window panes. Coco pulled open a closet door and pushed something electronic in his hand. The shoes on the closet floor rose on a platform, revealing a winding staircase under the hanging closet clothes. Would you think I had girls up here? Thought had crossed my mind. All my girls work out of the club. I run up here to get out of the house quick when I have to. They all think I jump out the outside fire escape. Unless you got the combination electronically, there ain't no way you're going to get in here. 
Jones followed him down the well-lit stairs. Coco pushed the hand device again, and the floor snapped back into place. Three levels later, they scooted through a dank basement tunnel for nearly a hundred yards. With three quick electronic beeps, a panel opened above them. Jones climbed into a murky garage with cars stuffed in the bays. Incredible. You didn't see nothing, Jonesy. Coco opened a door to a vintage blue Corvette with a white convertible top. Jones felt as if he were boarding a rocket. Nice car, where's Father Gallagher? Thanks. It's in mint condition. He's above in the homeless shelter on Green Street. They owe him for all he's done. The Corvette's motor roared and the exhaust flared out of the side pipes. Coco pushed the garage door opener on the dash and moved slowly down the side alley. The cops were in a white and blue Prince William cruiser across from the tenement. They still think you're inside. Yeah, they always do. Coco grinned, his silver cross earring dangled within his long peppered hair. Coco accelerated once he was on the main road. Jones searched for a non-existent seatbelt as Coco navigated through the narrow streets toward the center of the city. He took a left at the lights near the Belton Parkway along the river. The homeless shelter was a three-story clapboard building with a blue and white sign over the doorway and a window span below. What a pit, said Jones. Don't matter if you need a meal. Place used to be a hardware store when I was growing up. Second floor was lawyers' offices. He parked the car in the alley near an old blue 57 Oldsmobile. Jones hoisted himself up in the seat and followed Coco to the side door. The pervasive smell of boiled ham was evident when he opened the door. Water bubbled in huge aluminum pans atop blue gas burners. A short crew-cut man in a tattered maroon cable-knit sweater turned from the storage cabinets. Coco, what are you doing here? Walter, I think you know why Mr. Jones and myself are here. Oh, is he upstairs? Walter nodded and cleared his throat. Third floor near the bay window. Any cops been around here, Walter? Nope. Good. Coco placed one foot on the vinyl stair tread. You tell me right away if anybody's been snooping around here. Jones turned. You didn't see a little heavy-set guy with glasses and buck teeth, did you? No, sir. Jones looked at Coco. Well, that's a blessing. Come on, Jonesy. Jones held the smooth wood banister up the narrow, unheated stairway. Reflection from the city lights shined across the second-floor landing walls. Coco leaped up to the third floor ahead of Jones and tried unlocking the plywood door. Then he rapped on the wood. Father, it's Coco. Someone walked toward the door. The lock twisted and a large plywood sheet creaked open. A stocky man with a thick crop of brown hair, wearing a Hamilton College sweatshirt and baseball cap, blocked the door. Oh, it's you, Coco. Out of the way, Norman. Coco barreled past the bigger man. The storage area ahead was dark, but the light cracks surrounded a conventional door. Coco knocked again. Father, it's Coco. The door remained closed. Norman removed a key from his belt chain and unlocked the door. The glowing red tubes of a small space heater pushed warmth across the tiny room, and a single brass floor lamp with a torn pleated shade shone through a triangular patch across the worn blue sofa and chair. Jones saw his own reflection in the darkened bay window and the lights of the long crosstown bridge in the distance. A deck of cards was on a scratched table. Father, it's Matthias. Please come out. The taller Gallagher emerged from the front hallway shadows. 
He wore a brown flannel shirt and jeans. His orange hair was matted and he hadn't shaved. How did you know I was here? Kip Bosco, said Coco. Little grease on his palm and he'll keep his mouth shut. Bosco is the vice officer, said Gallagher. He smiled at Jones. So, how goes it, old buddy? How goes it? How goes it? You bolt out of that rectory, leaving me explaining everything to the cops, and you ask me, how goes it? Gallagher's face fell serious. He lifted the newspaper from the side table. I've read every two-bit article since I went into hiding. I haven't even heard the TV. Well, it's bad, said Jones. Everyone thinks I did it. Even the bishop is requesting I turn myself in. I've been framed, and if you'll pardon me, Matthias, I don't have a clue as to who killed Povich. Well, there's more, Father, said Coco. Great. Now what, have I been excommunicated? Your watch was found in Tammy Welch's car. Now how can that be? Gallagher nodded his head and walked to the window. I hear her death was connected. Wait, said Jones. Father, you were looking for your watch while you were watching the Celtics game. He's right. Gallagher kept staring at the traffic. But that watch was missing for a while. Days. Jones walked around the sulfur and put his hand on Gallagher's shoulder. Jim, Povich didn't have a secretary. We think Tammy Welch made that call, and I think she was murdered to shut her up. Gallagher looked into Jones's eyes. An interesting theory. I don't think you killed her or Povich, right? Matthias, I don't even know what labetatol hydrochloride was until I read the newspaper reports. Besides, Herbert Lane is being pressured to arrest me for Povich's murder. I heard it on the radio late this afternoon. He doesn't want to. In fact, he wants me to find the truth. You and Lane have been at each other's throats longer than I was with Povich. He exhaled and faced Coco. What do you think I should do, Coco? <laughs> if it were me, I'd be in Germany right now. How do you know about that? Coco half grinned. I have my sources. Listen, Father, I'm sorry, but you're screwed. No, he's not. How can they convict him? asked Jones, moving around the back of the couch. He didn't do it. Coco counted on his fingers. Number one, he's on the run. That looks bad to a jury. Number two, he cooked, excuse me, Father, the damn dinner. The food was full of the drug, Jonesy. Now, it should be pretty obvious I was lured out of that rectory and somebody came in to poison the food. Jones shook his head and folded his arms across his chest. Well, stay in hiding. Don't go to Germany. That really looks bad. Gallagher sat on the ripped sofa and put his head in his hands. Can't stand this being on the run, cooped up here. He looked up at Jones. Matthias, who killed Povich? My life is at stake here. I don't know. It could have been his companion, Professor McIntyre. The motive is there. He leaned on the sofa arm and glanced up at Coco. One of my players was about to have been exposed by Povich because of a drug habit. I have nothing to link him directly to Povich's death. Nothing. We couldn't find him on campus last night. He's making himself scarce, said Coco. Well, that could mean something. Jim, the Fletchers are sending me up to Tammy's funeral. I leave tomorrow. I'll be back on Wednesday night. Then I'll get back on this, I promise. They'll track me down. Now I'll keep a guy up here, father, said Coco. Gallagher stood and put his hand out to Jones. Guess I have no choice. Sad thing, a young girl murdered like that. 
The sad thing, said Jones, holding Gallagher's large hand with both his own hands, is my friend being framed. In the Jeep, Jones's cell phone sounded and he scooped it off the car seat. He had just dropped Coco off at Club Max and raced out of the city. Matthias Jones. Matthias, this is Herbert Lane. Jones's upper lip curled. He still did not like Lane, despite his cooperation in this case. I think you should know we have a potential development in the Povich case. Jones signaled for the highway, waited for a car to pass, and then pulled off the snowpack road onto the bare asphalt. Are you confessing, Herbert? Lane's laugh sounded like a car sputtering. Oh, I see your humor. Always the wit, Jones. I spoke at length with Duff Davis at the Hamilton Police Station tonight. We have several students who will testify in court. He was not in his room last Tuesday afternoon, as he said he was. Really? Jones shifted and the jeep climbed the long road. Well, where was he? He's not saying. Well, Herbert, that isn't exactly breaking the case open. Well, she must be mistaken. Uh-uh-uh, Jones. Don't go out of the way to defend one of your players. Okay, did anyone actually see him go into that rectory? Asked Jones. He looked at the birches and spruce near the summit as he passed the quarry road. And where was he when Tammy Welch was killed? One question at a time. No one ever saw him enter the rectory. And he does have an alibi for Tammy's death, more or less. He was at the Dempsey house picking up information. I thought Fred was in New York at the Ruggle House Press. Mrs. Dempsey gave Duff the books and notes the professor had left. Now here's the funny part. It's still possible that he met Tammy. At one time he did ask her out. Asking her out means nothing. Tammy was a good-looking girl. We know that Tammy, even with her cast, drove her car from the dorm. I have the name of the two girls who helped her to the car. Well, who are they? Uh, Marie Chapin and Adonna Wazinski, both in the Hilton Hill dorm. But that's irrelevant, Jones. She left at 1.15 yesterday. Mrs. Dempsey said Davis left after 1. That's all she could say. The Hamilton lights appeared crisp above the land sloping toward the dark bay. The temperature gauge rose. Well, Herbert, you've got him in an area of the first murder, and on the planet Earth for the second murder. Come on, no jury will even consider that. That's why I want you to dig, dig, dig. Jones held out the phone for a moment. Herbert, in the morning, I'm heading for Maine. Well, dig when you get back. Nobody's going anywhere. Where's Duff now? asked Jones. His dorm. Strickland had his man Harris checking on him. What about the watch? What does he say about Gallagher's watch? asked Jones. Never saw it. You'll have to get your ass over there and talk to him. I'll see what I can do. You want to put me on the payroll? Yeah, right. Now, what does Coco know about Gallagher? Coco? Yes, your buddy. The guy you went to see on East Crescent Street. Jones smiled when he thought of eluding the police cruiser. Well, he could know where Father Gallagher is hiding, but he's not saying. Don't get cute, Jones. Gallagher cooked that meal. Coco knows what Coco knows, and so does Father Gallagher. I'd like to nail him, 
Who, Gallagher? Asked Jones, smiling in the rearview mirror. Lane's voice, predictably tensed. I'm talking about Stefani. Good night, Herbert. Jones cut the line and slowed as he reached the bottom of the Hamilton side of the hill. To his left, the new housing developments, including Fred Street, were deserted under the street lamps and cold air. He debated whether to call Duff or the girls in the dorm, but he signaled left. The jeep skidded under the snow-slick road, spun in a circle, and finally ended up in the snowbank. He backed up, moved his neck around, and followed the snowbanks to Fred Dempsey's spacious split level. Fred's maroon van was parked in the half-shovel driveway. Jones pulled behind the van and stepped into the cold. He trekked under the stars up the snow-covered front walk and rang the doorbell. Mrs. Dempsey, a little woman with bleached hair, peered out the side curtains and opened the door. Oh, Coach Jones! Jones looked toward the driveway. I hope I'm not too late. I see Fred's van in the driveway. Oh, I drove him to the airport the other day. He had that big appointment at Ruggle House Press, you know, for his book. Please come in. We're usually up until the 11 o'clock news. He flew out of Manchester. Jones stepped into a small, tiled foyer at the base of stairs leading to an elevated living room. Well, when is Fred due back? Fred will be back tomorrow. I wanted to check on a few things. Well, if I can help you. She brought him up the stairs and across a thick Berber carpet. Jones sat on the couch. I'm just getting over the flu, so company is appreciated. You want a soda or a coffee? No, thanks, Mrs. Dempsey. As you know, two people have been murdered. Well, I knew Sergei Povich and that woman of his. I don't think she was very nice to him. At parties, she would strut around like she was a Greek goddess. Well, she was in it all for herself. Sergei was indifferent, and Tammy Welch, well, she was like her servant girl. Ms. McIntyre keeps tripping over her own ego said Jones as he leaned forward. Tammy was at those parties? Oh, yes. She wanted to become just like Elsie. Jones realized he had not checked Professor McIntyre's whereabouts at the time of Tammy's murder. He took out his pad and jotted a note to himself. Actually, I was checking on Duff Davis. The district attorney told me Duff picked up some papers here and left after one. Do you have the exact time? The man ate all of my donuts. Who, Herbert? Yes, I offered some donuts to him and Chief Strickland, and he cleaned the plate. But to answer your question, Amber was about to meet Tyrone in the park, a little picnic. Jones sat back. I don't understand. My soap opera. Oh, good, so we can track this down. I thought Fred was home. Well, Fred keeps telling me we'll get another car with the money coming in from the book. As a matter of fact, I'm supposed to go to get the headlight fixed. That dunderhead Bucky hit Fred's headlight with his sledgehammer. Oh, I saw the whole thing, said Jones. Now, I called Fred after the last game. He told me he had to pick you up. Pick me up? I've been on my back with the flu since last week. She looked down the rug as she thought. Fred did go out for work, and of course when Sergi was murdered. My friend Gwen stayed with me that night. Fred called us from the observatory. Gwen is a big fan of yours. She listened to that game on the radio when Tammy Welch broke her ankle. Now, I think what you mean is Fred went out to get some ice cream and more flu medicine. Jones nodded, but he specifically remembered Fred telling him he was leaving to pick up his wife. He did not like what he was thinking about Fred. Perhaps he misspoke, or maybe Jones didn't hear him correctly. Maybe he said he was going to pick up some things for his wife. Why would Fred say he was going to pick up his wife? 
Well, it sounds like Fred is a nice guy. He took your call just as he was heading out the door. That right. Anyone else call? Well, you did before. Jones smiled. He had not called from the time of the murder until he called when Fred was going out. Oh, before. When you talked about the night Sergi was killed. Oh, of course. Now Jones was suspicious. Fred had lied to his wife about receiving a call, and another time he volunteered for the ice cream and medicine run. Then he lied to Jones about where he was going. Jones tried to assign a motive, but he could not pin the Povich murder on Fred Dempsey. What kind of papers did Duff want? Oh, I'm not sure. Probably that variable stuff. Cepheid variable, Sergi's area of study. Jones's mind was revving out of control as Mrs. Dempsey prattled on about Fred's work, but Jones wondered about his book. He thought back to Povich being stuck in the hospital. Fred would have complete access to all of Povich's notes and discs. What could Povich do, or would he even be upset if Fred stole his work? Did Dr. Povich support Fred's doing this book? Well, Fred never talked about it. You see, we have our own life, and Fred has his academic life. Jones stood, and in his mind he tried to remove Fred from his suspect list, but he kept coming back to the lies. If you could talk to anyone who might have watched that soap opera. Oh, we'll get the right time for you, Coach. Do you think Duff had anything to do with Tammy Welch's death? I don't know. Jones studied her innocent blue eyes. Fred's separate academic life would allow him freedom of action. I'm on my way to Maine tomorrow. After that, I'm going to pursue this thing in earnest. One other thing. Yes? I'm trying to look into a company called Lone Star Engineering. They did some work at the observatory at Mount Polaris. You'll have to talk to Fred about that. By the way, when is your next game? Thursday, but it's away. We have to travel to Middleton. Boys get restless traveling more than 20 miles. But the game will be on the radio. Well, I'll tune in. You sure I can't get you something to eat, Coach? Well, my heart was set on donuts, but it appears that Mr. Lane seems to have eaten the cash, said Jones, and she laughed. Thanks for your help, Mrs. Dempsey. I'll see my way out. Thank you. Jones opened the door and stepped into the cold. He had come down looking for information about Duff Davis, and now he retreated down the Dempsey Walk, wondering why Fred had lied to his wife and to Jones on the phone. And where was Fred when Gallagher was at the supermarket? Was he really in class? Jones started the jeep and backed onto the slippery street. Once his tires caught the salted bare pavement on the highway, he gained speed back to town. But he seriously considered calling Fred in New York tomorrow morning and confronting him directly. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 16 Jones retrieved another glass of orange juice from the refrigerator. He wondered about Fred murdering Sergei Povich. While he had nothing directly linking Fred to the drug, he questioned Fred's lying and wanted to speak with him about it. The wall phone rang as he poured the juice. He reached for the receiver with his other hand. Hello. Jonesy, I'm on the highway. Coco? I've listened. I've made arrangements to go to Maine. Meet me at the rest area outside of Kittery. Coco, why would you want to go to Maine with me? Jonesy, I told you a long time ago, sometimes you just have to do what you're told. Okay. Jones placed his gray suitcase inside the Jeep. Bucky's compact security car chugged along the snowbanks across the town common 
and heavy exhaust spewed into the cold air. Jones stood with his hands on his hips. Then he shut the Jeep's rear hatch. He backtracked through his front gate and into the house. After checking the door locks, he lowered the thermostat. But as he looked out his kitchen slider, Bucky's car rolled slowly down toward his house. He pressed his hands against the glass and now felt the goofy security cop was stalking him. Don't even think about it, Bucky. A few minutes later, Jones grabbed his reheated coffee cup from the counter microwave and trotted down the front hall. He retrieved his stocking hat and gloves on the door table and stuffed them in his parka as he stepped into the cold. Bucky's car was no longer near the common. Still, he was convinced Bucky was watching him, maybe from one of the side streets. He got in the Jeep and placed the coffee cup in the dash holder. The Jeep's engine hummed. He took a swig of coffee and checked the common again as he pulled away from his house. Coco's traveling to Maine would at least afford him some company along the interstate. All the way to Prince William, he scanned the rear mirror for Bucky and chided himself for being so concerned about the campus security cop. With no sign of Bucky, his mind centered back on Fred Dempsey's story about picking up his wife. Professor McIntyre insisted he investigate Fred poisoning Povich. He did not like McIntyre because he figured she had taken Povich's money to purchase the stolen art. She may have even used diverted funds from the Alton Foundation. Steering him in Dempsey's direction was a likely diversion. Yet, Fred had also lied to his wife about where he was going. Jones's temperature gauge shot up as he moved up the ramp and onto the interstate. He took his foot off the accelerator. The gauge went down slowly when he eased up and maintained a slow pace. He pressed his lips together, but as he gazed out over the highway bridge across the countryside, Bucky's car inched by the adjacent farmhouse. Jones slowly accelerated and the gauge veered upward. As he moved under the green and white Prince William exit signs, Bucky swerved onto the highway. Jones clamped his teeth and shifted. He rocketed forward and the gauge needle shook. Idiot! Idiot! He grinned as he approached the main border. Even with his faulty radiator, he had outrun Bucky's smaller car, but the gauge was still stuck on hot. He traveled at a constant speed now, four miles from the rest area where he was supposed to meet Coco. Later, when he got to Portland, he might have time to have the radiator repaired once again. By now, Bucky had probably left the interstate, turned around, and headed back to Hamilton. Jones slowed as he approached the border. In a plowed area to his right, the blue Corvette was parked diagonally next to a huge 14-wheeler. Jones checked the road behind. Only a few cars passed as he signaled and glided into the rest area. He downshifted into the space next to Coco. Jones kept the Jeep in neutral and pulled up the emergency brake. He opened the door, but as he walked around the Jeep, Father Gallagher in an olive army jacket sprang from the passenger side of the Corvette. Coco shut the other door. A woman with long blonde hair drove out of the rest area. Jonesy, we don't have time for small talk. I don't want some statey pulling his cruiser in here. Father, what's going on? Somehow the police started checking the shelter last night. Coco put his hand on Jones's rear door handle and opened the door. I don't understand it. Gallagher moved his large frame into the Jeep's back seat. I didn't see anybody fall on us. Coco slid into the front seat as Jones positioned himself behind the steering wheel. A hundred yards away down the highway, Bucky's beige focus, leaving a thick trail of blue exhaust, raced by at high speed. That's stupid... What is it? What's the matter, Jonesy? Jones backed up. Bucky, the campus security guy, he just went by. Jones pointed to his right. He's been tailing me since Hamilton. You remember him. 
Yeah, sewer breath. Jones monitored the gauge as he left the rest area. Word must have got out I was going to Maine. That guy is such a little... Jones looked at Gallagher in the mirror. Father, how long are you going to be able to stay on the run? Now we're all accessories. Jonesy, I spend my life being the accessory to something. I didn't know what to do, said Gallagher. Well, at least you shaved. Gallagher grinned and Jones pulled onto the highway. I was over at Fred Dempsey's house last night. Dempsey worked closely with Povich. Yeah, so what? Jones passed the overhead sign again, welcoming them to Maine. He was convinced Bucky had not seen the jeep in the rest area. Fred lied to me about where he was going the day after Povich died, and he lied to his wife. Guys lie to their wives all the time, Jonesy, said Coco. Wait a minute, said Gallagher. Matthias has a sense about these things. I'm getting a bad feeling about Fred. He's in New York City now, getting his astronomy book published. Coco pinched his lower lip. You're saying he ripped off the old man. Gallagher leaned into the front seat. Stole material? Yeah, Povich was in the hospital for two months, Father, said Coco. Maybe he thought he was going to check out. Jones exhaled. I just don't see Fred as a murderer. I just don't. Depends on how much he was pushed, said Coco. That's just it. Nobody was pushing him. Why would he pill for material, asked Jones. Opportunity, baby. There had to be money to be had. You have the opportunity, you find yourself tempted. Right, Father? Well, you have a point, Coco, but Matthias is right. Somebody like Dempsey isn't going to respond to temptation unless there's good reason. He would have to feel cornered. Jones studied the mileage signs to Portland some distance away. And there's no evidence showing he was cornered. I still say anybody has his price, said Coco. You're too cynical, said Jones. Being cynical can save your life, Jonesy. Jones's cell phone sounded, and he pulled it from the dash holder, but he did not see his lighter charger. Matthias Jones. Yes, Mr. Jones, this is Kermit Renshaw from Lone Star Engineering. How are you today, sir? Well, I'm fine. Thank you for returning my call, Mr. Renshaw. I'm with the police investigating the death of Dr. Sergi Povich. Tragedy. Real tragedy. Well, I'm checking specifically into the finances of the refurbishing of the observatory. Do you have a dollar figure on what was spent up there? Yes, sir. Perhaps you should check the college's internal records. Well, I'm on the road, away from the college. Renshaw paused and hand-covered the receiver. Jones checked the rising temperature gauge as Renshaw came back on the line. We really can't be giving out that type of information, sir. Mr. Renshaw, I don't think you realize Dr. Povich was poisoned. His life cut short, and many people were saddened. They're even more saddened because they can't find his murderer. I'm not asking for details, just the one figure on what they spent. I know that. Maybe you've made your money and something so far away has no meaning for you. I'm genuinely sorry. The man's companion is in a state of grief. Well, I find that hard to believe. She was a cold, calculating woman. Why don't you just ask her? She controlled all the disbursements. So you're telling me you won't give me a simple figure? That is correct, sir. Great. Goodbye. Jones threw the phone back in the holder and slammed his fist into the armrest. You know, I'm wondering how much money was spent through that project. Why don't you call your buddy, Nigel Kent, said Coco. I just may call Nigel once we get to the hotel. The Povich book also starts the adversarial relationship between Jones and the bombastic Herbert Lane, district attorney for Prince William County. 
As we move into episode four, it is clear to Jones that the competition for money from the Alton Foundation still makes Gallagher, as well as the money-grubbing McIntyre, prime suspects. An example of qui bono, who benefits? Jones's friend, Professor Fred Dempsey, being Povich's protege or assistant, would benefit from the doctor's demise. Sometimes circumstances solve murders. Sometimes forensics, sometimes both. This is Robert P. Fitton leaving the world of forensic medicine and murder. In the words of Quincy, it was murder. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittonbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.